Welcome back to another episode of the Scoop College Basketball Podcast presented by Hoop Scoop Media. We are back with you Monday, the day after the Super Bowl. Good game yesterday, pretty disappointing ending, but now that that game is over, that means college basketball and March Madness is up next. So all of the casuals will start coming to the sport. If you're casual listening to the podcast, that's fine. This is the best place to learn everything that's going on in college basketball, all the everyone who's good, news, headlines, what to watch for, everything. So if that's you, we welcome you to the podcast. If you're another one of our regular diehard college basketball listeners, it's also the right place for you. So just getting into the stories before that, obviously got to shout out our social medias at uh, Hoopscoot Media. That is our Instagram, Twitter, website is hoopscootmedia.com. Still haven't many articles on there lately, but those will come, especially with the transfer portal opening up in about a month, which is still a little bit of a way, but we covered that to a uh, quite a bit of extent. So the website will be popping then. So make sure to bookmark it before it gets too late. But yeah, so there have been some, uh, before we get into the actual game action, there have been some storylines in the past week uh, involving coaching a little bit. So New Mexico State, that program is a disaster right now. They have canceled the rest of their season. They have put their coaching staff on uh, administrative leave, um, still on paid leave there in Las Cruces. Um, but if you'll, if you'll remember back to earlier in the season, there was a situation with a uh, shooting in which one of the one of the players in the team shot a uh, New Mexico student and killed him. It was in a self-defense, I believe, but still a very serious situation that happened there. And in this situation, it's just completely unrelated. So just not a good year for New Mexico State. Right after they made the tournament last year, obviously Chris Jans moved on. They hired Greg Heyer with... um from Northwest Florida State, the junior college ranks. He, I believe they won the national championship um, in JUCO last year. So it has not been a good year for the Aggies. Um, this, uh, relate, this new situation is because of a hazing incident that uh, involved three members of the team. I do not believe those uh, names of those players have been released yet. But yeah, like they're going to completely clear house. I cannot see any of the coaches or players on this team right now being the same players in the team next year. Three players on the team have already announced their intentions to leave the program. So Dan, if I can just get your uh, quick thoughts on everything happening here with the Aggies, this is just not a good situation at all. Not whatsoever. Very troubling when you... The police report that's been put out based on the report filed by the uh, alleged victim, a student athlete, is troubling in the sense that, I mean, anytime hazing, you, you see reports of hazing and there's an investigation, but pretty promptly after this investigation was initiated, you see the uh, suspension of the season. Ultimately, the WAC is going to go ahead and complete the forfeiture of uh, NMSU's remaining games. Uh, the allegations are hazing of really a uh, 
a sexual nature in terms of this inappropriate contact and everything like that. Um, and those details are all in the report. We won't we won't get into into too graphic detail in that sense. But in the end, uh, this is just unacceptable behavior. By the implication would be when you look at hazing, by definition, you would. I'm, I'm not going. I'm not going to accuse. I, I have no basis to you know throw. We're not going to throw those names around. But there are only so many older players in, who are, who are returnees to New Mexico State. So I, I'd be worried that you know these involve returnees and and going after one of the newcomers to the program this season under a first year head coach. Now that's entirely speculative, speculatory. I don't mean that in a, in a, you know, in a way that actually is on any legal grounds, but obviously when you look at hazing by definition, that's typically what you see is the older, older players and, uh, you know, putting those guys, the younger guys through it. So uh, it's, it's, it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing for what's been a proud program. It's a, it's a bad mark on college basketball, but fortunately uh, it's a, it's a very rare site. It needs to stay that way. So ideally, uh, as this comes out, New Mexico State well, is going to not not hold back in terms of re- putting a hard reset on the entire program. And that, that goes for really all involved parties. Yeah, definitely really uh, disappointing to see with the whole program because obviously they made the tournament last year, but obviously they had a big change with the offseason. Jan's leaving for Mississippi State. But I was still pretty high on the Aggies going this year. Um, I... I didn't know much about hire. Uh, obviously, I didn't think something like this would happen, but I know that he has won basically wherever he's been in the past. Obviously, really went at JUCO. He was an assistant on that really good, I believe he was an assistant on that really good East Tennessee State team that would have been a, like a 10-11 seed to tournament um, the COVID year. So, like, the funny thing was I was uh, I did some – player or not player uh coaching grades offseason based on hires and i had higher as a a minus and just to put it in perspective i had drum tang as a b i did not like uh tang's offseason acquisitions at the time so you know i really miss her but i'm admitting it so uh, higher has been an absolute f so far tang has been a plus but yeah it's just crazy to see what's happened with this program not quite to the level of 2003 Baylor, but it's not terribly far. And I can't think of any other instance that would have been that have been like worse than this in college basketball, just like in the past few years. Anyway, moving away from that story, we have some other whack coaching news. Um, UT Arlington. They are firing their coach, Greg Young. And this was an interesting move because it happened in the middle of the season when UT Arlington was winning some games. They fired him the day after the Mavericks won a road game at uh, UT Rio Grande Valley. Um, it was pretty obvious that a move was going to be made at the end of the season. I know the uh, leadership in... Arlington wanted to go a different direction, which is which is fair. I'm not. I'm just not sure. I agree with uh, firing Young in the middle of the season, especially when he's someone that's just been so invested in the program. And I don't think he's the reason why uh, necessarily why they've been struggling. I don't think it was necessary to fire him right now. Um, but I believe they did it because they wanted to get ahead in the coaching search. Which, I mean, I guess I still don't really agree with firing him. We're still a month left in the season. But at the same time, like, 
he was going to be gone, whatever happened at the end of the season. So, I mean, just kind of whatever at this point. Um, it's kind of a good job. It's um, it's a good location, Arlington. Obviously, a lot of uh, talent in that Dallas Fort Worth area. They've got pretty good uh, facilities. They have a good arena. Um, I've heard that the support from the school itself on the athletics programs is not the best, but I think it's still a desirable job for many coaches. Um, not going to get into too many um, names and who could be hired there, but one name I saw when I was scrolling through Twitter is Kansas State assistant Ulrich Malaji. I probably botched that name, but he started his coaching career off at uh, UTA when he was uh, his first stop when he was like 22 or 23 as an assistant. So definitely a name to watch out for there. I'm sure the, this seems like a job that will be, I seems like a job fitting for a high major assistant. They probably cannot get a good enough sitting head coach that I could, eh, I don't know. But moving on, that job really isn't that noteworthy. Mike Bray is not done with coaching. He will be done Notre Dame after a season, but he will not be retiring. And um, I guess what are your thoughts on this, Dan? Because I, I kind of just thought he was like, fed up with uh, everything that's been going on in college basketball. Yeah, we may have painted Coach Bray with a little bit of a broad brush in that episode. Uh, I think Notre Dame was happy to categorize it and maybe use that retirement wording as it pertains to Bray. But I I think what we failed to do is actually hear it from him. Uh, did he go out and say, I'm retiring? In those words, I'm trying to find the statement, the, the original statement that Notre Dame used to announce it. They they announced he will step away. So the in the step away from the program at the conclusion of this season was the phrasing in the tweet. That's really the headline. I want to scan through additional I, I think we missed this. I mean I, I'm kicking I'm kicking myself right now, Austin, because all along it really does look like the verbiage from Notre Dame was stepping aside, you know, stepping down is another interpretation of that that different outlets were using. But not, never really retirement. So we we read into that a little bit. But now I'm I'm really curious what you think are you know jobs that Mike Bray would have interest in and vice versa. Yeah, well, for starters, like yeah, like you said, it never really said he was explicitly retiring. Um, which is I feel like something that everyone kind of inferred on, like oh he's stepping away, he's retiring, which. Well, he's not, and one of the jobs, I haven't uh, looked too deep in this because obviously we don't know what jobs are going to open for sure, um, but one job that I've seen a lot of uh, buzz on since it was announced that Bray would be coaching still is Georgetown. Obviously, uh, he's kind of from the area, obviously uh, coached at Delaware. I believe he graduated from George Washington. So that's kind of all in that same area over there. Um, Georgetown, hopefully, hopefully uh, Ewing will step down following this season. And even though Bray's um, old, he doesn't have much uh, 
coaching left, I'd say I think he's someone that could be a good fit at Georgetown just to put him in a better position um, for a few years before they hire um, someone younger that could be like the face of the program for years to come. But I, I don't know if you had any other schools that you thought could be a possibility. I love Georgetown. I love Georgetown for him. He's specifically Bethesda, Maryland. And I, I know Bethesda. I know DeMatha as well. I mean, DeMatha is nationally known. And Mike Bray was an assistant at DeMatha starting in 1982. So you have DeMatha ties and you're from the area. Those are going to check two big boxes for really any school in the DMV or in the area really surrounding the DMV. And that's where I classify Delaware. So Georgetown's really a, a great choice. And I mean, among the options we have right now, Austin, Georgetown really does seem to be that top choice because it makes a lot of sense. It's one of those jobs that we expect to come open, right? Like we're projecting that that's going to be available. And it's not, it's not, it's not so easy to say that some of those other jobs in that region are actually actually going to become available. And you, you match that with the consideration of you, know, you don't go necessarily from stepping away from Notre Dame to a truly non-P6 job, like a true mid- you know, middle of the mid-major road kind of job. You'd expect there to be, if he's looking to continue coaching, unless, obviously for different reasons than Patino, but if unless he was looking to kind of have a Rick Patino type mold where he's coaching in, a, in less of a pressure situation and is getting the benefits of interacting with the student athletes and coaching in a Division One program, but not the same rigors or not, not rigors is the wrong word because all these coaches across D1 are putting in a lot of hours, but not the same scrutiny, those kind of things. Because of course, Notre Dame, you have a lot of, a lot of bright lights on you. I uh, mean, maybe that that changes the calculus for him, but I I do think that the combination of somewhere in the P six, but towards the back end of the P six in terms of program scrutiny and intensity, Georgetown, its location, along with its place in the totem pole or pecking order, that all relative to Notre Dame at least, that all makes a lot, ton of sense to me. Yeah, well, for starters, I th- I think on the Patino situation, I think he kind of had to go to a place like that because high right. majors. Uh, That's what I'm saying. They're different situations. Yeah. 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 Um, but obviously now Pacino has kind of been cleared almost. And uh, could we could see him take a high major job depending on what openings are. Obviously, he's also been thrown around quite a bit for the Georgetown job. But yeah, I think uh, Bray would be a good hire there. Would it end up happening? I think if this would have happened last year, George Washington would have been a good hire. Obviously, him... Uh, Coming from there, uh, graduating from there, um, because but um, first year coach Chris Caputo is doing a good job, um, there at G Dub. So there will will not be any obviously coaching changes made, um, there. But yeah, so I think Georgetown would be the ideal fit. But I guess you never really know. Bray could take a completely random job, but geographically and based on what openings are and what level he will likely be looking to continue his coaching at, that job would make sense. So now, or back to Notre Dame, um, the uh, Porter Moser has kind of, I've seen a lot of people reporting that he will potentially likely be the next coach of the fighting Irish. Um, I guess what are your, I mean, nothing's for sure yet. Moser even said recently that he has no interest in that job, but I'm not buying that. I, I think, I mean, no one's going to say they are going to like 
they're like heavily considering taking this job when they're still in the middle of the season. Um, but I think this would be a great fit for Moser. I've always, um, ever since the Notre Dame job opened, honestly, I've been in on this for Moser. I just didn't know if uh, Notre Dame would be willing to pay the buyout at um, Oklahoma, which is um, not, it's it's a little more than many other coaches that they could get. But, yeah, I think it's a perfect fit if it ends up happening. What are your thoughts on Moser potentially being the next head coach in Notre Dame? Well, when I think of Porter Moser, I, I want to then take a closer look at Oklahoma even. And I'm, I'm curious how Moser looks at the move to the SEC. In a basketball sense, I'm not sure, you know, each head coach might view that a little differently. Is this an upside or a downside in terms of how Oklahoma will be realigning? Do you want to continue to be, or do you wish you could 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 continue to be in what we've called and what you know really consensus has been the best conference in the country in the Big Twelve, or do you uh, really like and appreciate the idea of moving to the SEC where Kentucky's been very bumpy and and, and you have a situation where you're Oklahoma, Kentucky's the blue blood, but then who's to say Oklahoma with the resources it has, I mean, they're pouring everything in the football. Certainly football is a big driver there, but Oklahoma very proud of the athletic department overall would expect that they can, could perceive themselves as being within reach of being a Tennessee who cracks a really high level. If the, if the recruiting can, if the recruiting can be sustained by Porter Moser, that I don't, I, I could see that and see Oklahoma aspiring to that or would Porter Moser say, Hey, knowing that this conference move is happening, would I like to be, part of Notre Dame and, and, and consider the, the ACC in that regard. And the ACC is likely going to get back on an upswing without knowing, of course, at the time, what the ACC's own realignment may be. You certainly think the ACC's basketball temperature is going to go back up a few notches. Just an evening out law of averages says the ACC is going to return to its usual standard of overall play. So I obviously what school you're working at has, has a lot more to do with than just your conference affiliation. But I do wonder if Oklahoma's move, it's coming right up. It'll be 2024 now. If we, if I track all the headlines correctly, that's been a dizzying sequence. But I, I do wonder about that. In the big picture, though, Porter Moser, if he really thrived, well, we saw he, he wasn't if he did thrive at Loyola Chicago and, and you know peaked and made those national waves and legendary run. I wonder if he would prefer Notre Dame and being that institutional fit of a religious school back in the kind of that region of the country, the heartland there. Oklahoma is in the middle of the country, maybe a different kind of heartland. So I do wonder if maybe Porter Moser would feel right at home there at that Notre Dame style of job. Yeah, like you're saying, I think the Notre Dame job fits him much more. I never really thought the Oklahoma job uh, has been a great fit. I just he was just like a really good coach that was kind of looking to go up and like they were open and some other jobs that he probably would have taken were not available for him, but Notre Dame seems like the perfect fit for him. Obviously uh, the Catholic institutions with uh, Loyola Chicago, Notre Dame, like I think that just lines up perfectly the same uh, geographical area, like South Bend and Chicago are pretty close. Like I think that would just, I think that would uh, be a good fit for him. And he would have taken that over Oklahoma had it opened at the same time, like two two years ago. Um, so yeah, I just I think he I think that job might end up being his, but obviously still far from over there. So 
when more developments happen on this, we will report on them. But moving over to some uh, more news, um, not this is not necessarily transfer news, but a few players being dismissed and leaving their teams who you would think will enter the transfer portal eventually. Um, Brian Freeman has been dismissed from the Rhode Island program. He averaged over 14 points a game this year, so he's been very good for the Rams. But the fit just never seemed to be there. I don't know if him and um, Archie really uh, were right for each other, if they really got along. Um, So that just didn't really work out behind the scenes. But Freeman is a very talented player. There were times where he just looked like the best player on Rhode Island. Um, He will most likely, I mean, he will enter the transfer portal even though he's not in yet because he has, I mean, he's obviously not coming back to Rhode Island after this, but it will be interesting to see where he ends up. I think he is a player player capable of playing at the power six level, but would also thrive in the uh, mid plus level that he's currently in with a better fit. So it will be interesting to see where he ends up. Obviously, I don't know if he's going to have to sit out a year considering this will be his second time transferring, and he's obviously not a grad. He still has two years left. He's only a sophomore right now. Um, some more player, players leaving teams news. Oklahoma, the uh, California transfer trio that they got this offseason of Jake Kyman, Max Aguimpolo, and Ethan Anderson, they have all left the Wyoming basketball program. I feel like this just puts a cap on the disappointing season Wyoming has had. They were coming off to at-large bid, super hyped up. Graham E.K. gets injured. That is, then I mean, like, E.K., obviously, he's been out for the whole season, redshirting and all that stuff, but, like, they just had a ton of other minor injuries. Noah Reynolds, who's really emerged as a uh, star point guard for them. He, he's he got, like, a few concussions this year. He's out for the season now. I think Malinado had a concussion somewhere in there. But, yeah, Wyoming just uh just couldn't figure it out this year. They'll be back. I've, I think Linder is a good coach. I don't have any uh, concerns. Uh, assuming EK is back with the program next year, which with the transfer era NIL, you never know. But I think they will be back to uh, more to top half of the Mountain West soon. But yeah, those those three players never really did what they were to live up to. Uh, Ethan Anderson had a, a pretty good season. He was the one that did uh, solid, but Agumpola and Kaiman never really uh, were able to carve out their roles. I thought Agumpola would be really good in Wyoming. I was wrong, but hopefully um, those players can succeed at their next destinations, which they've all uh, shown the ability to be impactful players at times. So I guess we will just see what happens with that scenario. And also none of those players have officially entered the transfer portal yet. I believe they all have eligibility still at least one year. Agumpola might have a few, um, but yeah, I guess we'll just see. Will they, will they uh, still be together at their next stop? We will just see what happens there. Um, and some recruiting news. We only have one uh, notable commit to touch on this week, and that is 
Marcus Mitrovic Marion. He is a Danish uh, prospect, uh, obviously from Denmark, um, committed to Wake Forest uh, in 2023. Um, obviously, being from an international uh, prospect, I am not too familiar on the uh, anything about him, really, but I know he had other high major offers. He took some visits to places such as Xavier and um, let's see where else did he visit he visited um, yeah that might might have been it but I know he had offers from some other places he's a uh, 6-8 small forward so yeah um, Steve Forbes really hit some jackpots uh, in uh, with recruiting and um, obviously, they have an international guy in the team right now, and Bobby Klinsman from Sweden, who is kind of that's kind of in the same general area up there in Europe. And so, I wonder if that was a factor at all. Um, but yeah, um, so moving on to the actual game news, um, Northwestern they beat Purdue. Um, at Northwestern the other day, and that Northwestern crowd was that environment. There was like nothing I've ever seen in Northwestern. Um, it was that was a packed stadium. Uh, I believe it was sold out. It was they stormed the court after that place was just filled with energy. What are your initial thoughts on the Northwestern Purdue game? Yeah, the atmosphere spot on. Northwestern really showed up. I have a great respect for Northwestern overall, one of the great sports journalism programs in the country. So, of course, I always touch on that when we're talking about Northwestern, but hasn't always had that acclaim when it comes to men's basketball on the floor. But Boo Booey had an absolute legacy game. You look at this box score, dropping 26 and helped by Aldiz with 15. And this is one of those games where I, I mean, we're going to discuss Northwestern at length, but what an, what, another, what an example of, once again, Purdue getting a squad's best shot. Like, this was... Northwestern's game of the year and you could tell that they really put together the kind of showing that can help withstand 24 points from Edie. Edie every night Edie, we talk about Edie every episode as we must because he's so efficient seven of ten from the field three offensive rebounds five defensive rebounds but in the end Northwestern climbs out of a 37 to 30 halftime deficit I was caught by surprise on this one this game wasn't really on our radar I don't think Austin we we hadn't even discussed it really going into the week and that really was because we weren't even targeting it as a really possible trap or upset spot. But I guess we should have known better because now Purdue, as you take a look, the other losses on this, in Big Ten play for Purdue, or rather others, they both came in Big Ten play, of course, the one to Rutgers and more recently to Indiana. The Indiana loss, I telegraphed a little bit. This game against Northwestern completely caught me by surprise. And now Northwestern playing its way into the field uh, by every indication. Yeah, I honestly did not see this upset coming. Um, I'm not sure I've really been fully on Northwestern this year. Obviously, they've been way better than expected. But after this game, I think I'm just fully on the Northwestern hype train. They this is their big statement when that I was I was always kind of skeptical of this team would like collapse and fall off the bubble. But like 
they're they're going to make the tournament after this game, and nothing can tell me otherwise. They have a great backcourt, Boo Booey, Chase Adij, yeah, as you uh, mentioned. Um, Chris Collins has got a good staff there with Northwestern. He has saved the job there. Um, yeah, there's nine five in Big Ten play. That's uh, second in the conference. Obviously, there's a big, uh, a lot of teams like right there, but they're currently tied for second. Um, and yeah, like uh, going over to Purdue, uh, like they've continued to look beatable. Ed played amazing. Um, had twenty four points as you mentioned, I believe. Um, he did have six turnovers, which was interesting. So that's definitely um, something to note and look out for in the future. But yeah, like I think Purdue is almost a little too one-dimensional. Obviously, like Smith and Lawyer have been good, and I think I think at this point, it's it's not like the fact that they're freshmen; it's just that the fact that they're not like star players next to you because they've been really good all season. They don't look like freshmen most of the games. But yeah, they're just they're just not the star players that you um might want. And March seems to be a guards month, and Purdue may struggle because although Smith and Lawyer are good, I'm not sure if they compare with some of the better guards in the country. And yeah, I still think Purdue has had an amazing season, but this is another reason why I am worried for them once it comes to March Madness. And, like, if you can just hold Edie, force some turnovers, then Purdue can really get in trouble. Yeah, and especially when uh, Purdue, their other guys aren't hitting, then this is a situation where they can really be in trouble. Um, but Purdue is still had a great season. Um, but some of the teams that have not had so great of seasons this year – have been some of the best programs in college basketball's history in North Carolina and Kentucky. Um, obviously, I don't know if you saw, but North Carolina lost to Miami tonight, and the game wasn't particularly close. It was, it was an eight-point game, I believe, but it kind of stayed that way in the majority of the second half. It wasn't really super tight, um, but yeah, definitely a good one for Miami, but. Um, North Carolina, I feel like they kind of almost needed that win. They have zero Q1 wins after Ohio State finally fell out of that uh, metric after getting destroyed by uh, Michigan State, I believe it was. Um, but, yeah, those two teams are combined 115 in quadrant one games. Um, this week, Kentucky, they lost at home to Arkansas by 15. Um, to Arkansas team that has not been great lately, and they also lost at Georgia to a Georgia team that has been pretty bad lately, honestly. So, what just when people thought things were kind of starting to go good for Kentucky after they were avoiding any of these landmines, they're kind of they did not avoid the Georgia game, which Arkansas lost. You probably shouldn't have lost it at home. But Arkansas is still a team that will most likely make the tournament. But Georgia is not even close. And even though even though Mike White has built them into a 
competitive team, which they were not last year with Tom Crean, but they're still not close to the uh, field, which, um, yeah, like Kentucky, you just can't be losing these games. I feel like this puts them out, but they definitely have chances uh, going forward. And then you talk about North Carolina. They they got a good one over Clemson this weekend, which is only a Q3 win, but Clemson has a good conference record. They beat them pretty good, so that's still a good win in my book. But they played Wake Forest uh, last week. They didn't look that good that game. They lost They lost to Demon Deacons on the road. And then tonight, they lost to Miami. They just didn't really do a good job of shooting the ball, which is something they did do good against their win over Clemson. But I guess, what are your thoughts on these two teams and, like, where to go from here? It's a great question in comparing them because they're in similar situations. I look at remaining schedules. Kentucky has an opportunity versus Tennessee. That'll be a high-end game. Tennessee could well keep itself in the AP Top 10 for that one. They also have Auburn. The Wildcats have Auburn in late February. Whereas for UNC, also some notable games coming up, ranked NC State and Virginia. I like UNC a bit more. I I think the Kentucky NIT meme might actually have some steam. It might actually hold some water. The ACC, is it down or is it really high on parity? And my questions are similar about the SEC in some respects. But I think I trust the roster of UNC a good bit more. I look at Baycott, the top of it all. It hasn't been legacy season that we might have looked for in preseason, but I, I just I don't know that Kentucky is actually going to pull it together in such a crunch. They just seem like they have the make the makeup of a high end NIT team more than a team that's going to sneak in. But as much as I mentioned Baycott star power, this is still a team, Kentucky that has Oscar Schwebe. So I look kind of you know the the biggest stars in the game are the biggest names. Sometimes they just come through late in the season and will their team in to the backside of the bracket that could happen for UNC or Kentucky, but I'm going to lean UNC on this. Yeah, I agree. I think both teams are kind of right around that cutoff line right now. I think I will uh, take UNC out of these two teams as which is more likely to make the tournament. I think even though they don't have a Q1 win right now, they do not have any uh, terrible losses uh, to date. And I think they have a they have a game uh, this uh, Sunday at NC State, which I think would be a huge win for the Tar Heels. They beat NC State earlier this season at home by double digits. If they can win that game, that would be huge and getting them that first quarter one win. But also like Kentucky, they definitely have their fair share of opportunities going forward. Obviously, you mentioned that Tennessee game this weekend, but they have Mississippi State in a few days on the road, which is um, definitely would be a huge game uh, if they can pull that off. They have Florida on the road, also another Q1 game, Auburn at home, Arkansas on the road. So they have their plenty of opportunities going forward. And yeah, they. I feel like both these even though they're hovering around the bubble, like I, f- I have a feeling that both these teams will either play themselves in or play themselves out based on the results 
uh, going forward. But yeah, these teams are still both very talented teams. Um, in terms of just pure talent, they would not be on the bubble right now if that was the only thing going into consideration here. But obviously, you need to win games too. You can't just have the biggest names on your team. But yeah, so I, I agree with you. North Carolina is in the better position right now. But it's really uh it's really pretty close there. I yeah, I'm just interest, interested to see how this season shapes out because both these these teams came into the year in the towards the top of the country. Uh North Carolina was obviously first in the preseason poll. I don't know what Kentucky was off the top of my head, but I want to say they could have been like um fifth or something. Let me check that real quick. The um let's see, is this what I want to look at? Um let's see. Kentucky was fourth. Okay, so yeah, these are two teams that were towards the top of the country just uh earlier in the season. And even though they will not get back there, I still think they have the talent to go on, like, make some damage. But, yeah, I guess we will just see if these teams can actually put their talent to use and get together. But then jumping from North Carolina to Duke in the ACC, Duke lost a game at Virginia that was very controversial on the last play of regulation in a game that eventually went to overtime. Cal Filipowski had a layup to win it. He was, uh, by the rest of the game, he was not fouled, but I, th- that definitely looked like a foul to me. Uh, the ACC later released a statement that basically said that was a terrible call. Um, I guess, what are your reactions on this situation? Well, this was this was more... I, I agree. Just this feels like a strong word, but this was more. This was certainly a situation where the league, in this case the ACC, really owned it because this was much more obvious than to allude to the Super Bowl we talked about at the very top with the call at the end of the late in that stage of that game, a flag, a flag, a flag or foul that was called. Uh, this, of course, a no call. The ACC makes that incorrect adjudication announcement very, very formally, very officially. I, I'm not sure how much consolation that is to Virginia, but or excuse me, to Duke. I beg your pardon, but uh, it it makes a world of difference to the rest. Like, I'm very curious how the committee looks at like how do you treat this quote loss for Duke? Like, I, I'm at a bit of a loss. It's one of those situations where you're going to have to be comparing a certain Duke's kind of loss in this particular game against Virginia against a bunch of other ACC schools who have a common opponent in having played Virginia and having a lost Virginia. How do you, how do you make, how do you make those two compare? How do you do that in a fair way? Uh, I, it, it makes me, makes my, makes me get a headache just thinking about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a tough one. I think even though it was wrong call, you just have to, uh, put it in there as a loss because you can't really make any exceptions about all this stuff. And that just gets too out of hand, but yeah. It's um, a slippery slope, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, definitely interesting too because this is 
Not the first time that there's been a questionable call at the end of a Duke game. Obviously, that game versus Virginia Tech where um, I forgot who it was, but the Virginia Tech player uh, kind of unintentionally punched uh, Filipowski, like just celebrating. Um, it was completely unintentional, but that was one that there could have been like a flagrant one call there um, a few weeks back that, yeah, Duke has been on the wrong result of some games uh, with the refs this year, which is kind of surprising considering it seems like all these blue buds are typically on the other side of that where they get some questionable calls in their favor. So maybe it's just evening out this year. <laughs> I don't know. But moving on, uh, Tennessee, they have lost on two buzzer beaters this week, which is crazy. And even though um they're buzzer beaters, like they were they're like two shots away from being undefeated this week. I still these are still like I have some real questions about this team because like even though they could have easily won both games, like I don't think these two games that they played this week are teams that they really should have been um leading by like two points with five seconds left. And these games were at Vanderbilt and at home versus Missouri. And Vanderbilt is not really that good of a team. They've been playing better lately. But, like, if Tennessee is really, like, a top-10 team, probably not a game that you should really be in. Missouri, honestly, obviously a respectable team, too. But, again, not a team that you should be playing to the wire at home with. So what are your thoughts on this crazy week for the Vols? You nailed it. You nailed it. But we're left scratching our heads after two after two buzzer beaters, right? But like in the fact that they would happen in succession like that in one week and to, to, to go over in a week. But at the same time, what led to that? What even what even allowed Tennessee to wind up in that position? And you made note of it in our in our program notes as well here tonight. Tennessee has all the ingredients for getting upset early on as a high seed. All it takes is we've talked about the offense to have either it's standard kind of night or even a substandard by Tennessee standards kind of evening shooting and an opponent to make some headway on a Tennessee defense that has a lot asked of it on that end of the floor game in and game out. So I think it's somewhat predictable that Tennessee could find itself in a very tight game, one score game late where the underdog is the huge, you know, uh, crowd favorite on a neutral site in the NCAA tournament and and the pressure starts to mount. And you let an arm dog hang around and you get an outcome like we saw twice this week for Tennessee. So I'm I'm really in lockstep with you on this. Uh I do I do think that uh, Alabama's in terms of when you look at the SEC anyway, and I know Alabama's on a on a rise now because they not that we put too much exceptional stock in the AP poll, but now that Alabama's risen to that number one spot again with Purdue's loss, I think Alabama's just so much easier to trust. And th- this week offered a pair of examples for that. Yeah, and looking back at how Tennessee lost both the games this week, the game versus Vanderbilt, they definitely uh, deserved to lose that one. Or, I mean, I guess based on how the final possession went down, they left a um, Lawrence wide open in the corner for three. You can't do that. But the Missouri game, that was a little more excusable. Uh, Dre Golston just kind of threw the ball up like from like five feet behind and he was heavily contested. He just kind of threw up a prayer and it went in 
which is, I think it's actually the second buzzer beater he has hit this season. Hit one earlier this season to beat UCF. So that's interesting. Um, but yeah, just not an ideal week um, for the Vols. And yeah, going back to what I've been kind of preaching for the last month, like Tennessee is a good team. Like they're a good regular season team, but they are not going to go far in March. Part of that is because Rick Brown has never really done it in March. Part of it is because they just don't have the offense required to do that. And like when you um, let a team do some stuff on uh, offense, even though they have a great defense, sometimes you just don't have the offense to keep up with that. A lot of their um, offensive players like Ziggler, Vescovy, uh, they can be good at times, but they also can be inconsistent at times. So you never really know um, exactly what you are getting from uh, those guys. And yeah, even though Tennessee will probably get like a two, three seed in March, maybe even a four seed, that range, and they deserve that. But I think I will be picking them to lose in the round of 32, depending on the matchup, obviously. But definitely not a team that I will be picking to go to the Final Four because of all the characteristics that we've listed off of them. Um, Let's see. St. Mary's. They have finally fallen. Their 12-game win streak, I believe it was, comes to an end at the hands of Loyola Marymount. Loyola Marymount, if you remember, a few weeks ago, they knocked off Gonzaga at Gonzaga. This game was at Loyola Marymount, but still an impressive win. Went to overtime. And did, did, did you watch this game? I did not. This is another one that got me for a loop. I should have given LMU that heads up underdog praise in the previous episode because it's all at once this season, and they, they got me. Yeah, well, I was going to say, if you watch the game, uh, I, I only watched overtime, honestly, but the announcers were terrible. I'm pretty sure they called St. Mary's Gonzaga at least three times during that overtime period. I'm not sure if those guys really knew what they were talking about, but as a sports media major myself, it definitely gives me hope that there are guys out there like that that have uh, positions calling uh, live TV or live streaming games that don't know the difference between St. Mary's and Gonzaga. So maybe I have a little hope there, but going to the actual I think you had hope to begin with. Don't sell yourself <laughs> short now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but going back to the actual results of the game, this game was another one where Cam Shelton just took over zero points in the first half, but 31 in the second half and overtime combined. He had an outstanding game. Um, Logan Johnson for St. Mary's also at 31 and obviously like I mentioned I only watched the overtime period but those players were kind of going at it uh, Johnson in overtime he he was getting to the rim with ease uh, the Lions could not really stop him but uh, St. Mary's highly ranked defense was not doing um, what they needed to uh, make up for um, the buckets they were getting on offense. But yeah, it did definitely an interesting game. The Gales started out the game leading 16-0, to zero, then a few minutes later, it was tied at 20. Yeah, just chaos in WCC. Loyal Marymount, 
even though they uh won't make the tournament, they'll pro- they might make the NIT this year. They've had some solid wins. They beat Wake Forest, neutral at Gonzaga, home St. Mary's, Nevada at home. I think I referenced this in the previous uh, our last podcast. Um, but yeah, they've had a some great wins this season. I think that program is definitely uh going up with Stan Johnson. I know he was kind of a hot name, um, the former Marquette assistant, but. Um, after a very disappointing season last year, I think the Lions are finally on upward trajectory. Um, moving on to our conference-specific uh, headlines. So, obviously, the conference that we like to start with the most is the Big 12 because of how much chaos there is. And just speaking about that now, there, this game just went final, and Texas Tech knocked off Texas in Lubbock so that just goes to show you how much uh chaos there is and that was perfectly timed the game just went final and we're just getting this point in the podcast wish I could say I planned it out but I did not but before we get to that game I think the team we need to touch on first Oakland State they've been playing amazing lately they've just they were kind of uh on the bubble like first four out range for a little bit but then they just started winning. They won five straight, seven of the last eight, and they won at Iowa State on Saturday, which they were the first team to win at Iowa State this year. So um, what do you make of this? Oklahoma State's kind of just, they've just kind of been surging and establishing themselves as a locked tournament team at this point. Talk to any head coach. They'll often say, we want to play our best basketball in February. The Cowboys are getting that done just in time to play Kansas here on Valentine's Day. So they, they're looking to not show the Jayhawks any love on the holiday. I love that pun there. But, you know, OSU taking a look at how they got done in Ames. So the game that Iowa State led at the half, 32-26. Another one of those examples of a team finishing off an upset in a bit of comeback fashion in the second half. Take a look at 19 points from John Michael Wright. The senior from Fayetteville is averaging actually just under 10 a game, but he showed up on this huge stage. He got a lot of help from his f- teammate at forward, uh, Khalid Baboon. How about Boone leading the way in rebounds uh, with eight boards, two on the offensive glass? I wanted to look at the win probability chart as well in this game from ESPN's analytics. Iowa State was favored by the win probability all the way through approximately the under eight timeout of the second half. But Oklahoma State hangs around on the road. What a quality Big 12 win on the road. What an example of the Big 12's night to night. If you're if you're a home team, you can't take any home game, you can't take any any home game for granted in this conference. And I guess Texas Tech is saying, well, shoot, you can't take any game against a sub 500 team in conference play either uh, for granted in their own category. So Break down team stats. You say, well, did Iowa State just have a really off shooting day? I mean, 35% from the field of the team isn't great. Seven of 22, three point shooting for Iowa State, also not a good day, but Oklahoma State was only eight of 22 from three point shooting. Rebounding was a tie at 34. So, where is the real differentiating factor in this game? You look at the turnovers, Oklahoma State committed actually more turnovers than Iowa State. Foul calls were similar. Oklahoma. Oklahoma State simply had a better day in the, from its top individuals. Uh, and I mentioned it off the top in terms of the leading scorer, right, with 19. So Oklahoma State, I think, needed this win to help us see that. 
come tournament time, this is a team we do expect to see in the field. And this is a team we're not going to take to just head out around a 32 or head out in the first round in, in a situation where they get a difficult mid-major matchup. Yeah, one thing that may have impacted this game uh, differential was Iowa State shot 9 of 19 from the free throw line, whereas Oklahoma State went 14 of 20. So even though Oklahoma, Oklahoma State did, just did pretty average from the free throw line, but Iowa State definitely did not do good from free, the free throw line. Caleb Grill went 1 of 5, who is usually labeled as a pretty good shooter. So that's definitely a reason Oklahoma State, like winning at Iowa State, like Iowa State um, is definitely a defensive-oriented team under odds, um, and Oklahoma State just um, toughened them out. Um, obviously, uh, yeah. And like Oklahoma State, even though they've been on this uh, very good run here, they don't really have any star players necessarily um but they have a good group of guys who can you can get like steady uh contributions from uh on a nightly basis like they have bryce thompson the former kansas player uh obviously you mentioned caleb boone you got john michael wright the uh transfer from high points um caleb asbury the texas state transfer uh musa sise is a dominant player on defense he is a former transfer too, so that just goes into how you can just build your team from the portal from that perspective. And uh, another player is that that uh, I would like to mention is Avery Anderson, who they've actually been without for the past three games, and he is also in that group of their players that have uh, been averaging a little um, around ten points per game this season for the Cowboys, and have um, they they've. Uh, relied on him to score a lot of nights, but they have not needed him to pass few games. And yeah, Oklahoma State, um, they are definitely playing themselves into the field. They are solidly in the field right now. I guess we will see if that stands. Obviously you mentioned they have the huge game um versus Kansas and And they've already forward, leapfrogged TCU. To use that pun, they've leapfrogged TCU, and we'll touch on TCU in a moment. But I just wanted to note, quote that as well. That's a big, it's a big part of the Big Twelve standing. Yes, they have. But uh, yeah, going forward, um, the Cowboys have so many games that are crucial. Like obviously, in the Big Twelve, you're not going to get any breaks, and they don't really have any guaranteed wins from now on. But they also don't have any games that they have no chance of winning. Um, it seems like they have. Uh, their toughest games at home, their toughest opponents at home. So I guess Oklahoma State could really uh, be a good seed. And like, what could they be like? Like a six seed if they like continue to play really good. Yeah, I, I had seven in my head, but I'm right there in that same ballpark with you. Yeah, yeah. I guess now they'd probably be like the eight nine range, but at this point they're just going straight up. So it's it's really hard to predict like what they'd be now because like if they keep playing how they've been playing now, they're not going to end up as um, like in, in the eight seed range. But as you mentioned, we will talk about TCU now. I still haven't had Mike Miles back since he hyperextended his knee at Mississippi State, and they have been missing him. They've lost three straight, um, four or five, including that loss at Mississippi State. Um, yeah, and just... Bottom line here, they could really use Mike Miles back. He is a star player. 
And um, I also think TCU, because of him being out, they will uh, drop a little bit in the tournament field. So they could be like, they could be a sneaky good six seed that's probably better than their, um, like what they're seated as. So I want to know your thoughts this whole situation. Hope to see uh, Miles back in the court soon. Yeah, the biggest takeaway is what this does to the NCAA tournament positioning for TCU, not in terms of will they Horn Frogs be in, but the, the draw, the opponent who draws TCU is going to be shaking their head. I'm, I'm almost certain of it because under the presumption that Mike Miles is back, it's going to be a team that's really masquerade. It, it's in that maybe six line it's, that really should be in that top four uh, life in the in each quadrant. So it's going to be a six masquerading as a four, even as high as a three if they had been told fully healthy for the stretch of the uh, February run here. So I do think that uh, TCU... I have a hard time picturing them playing themselves completely uh, backwards out of the out of the bracket. That doesn't seem realistic, especially with Miles' return in sight. But at the same time, uh, I'm curious to see his reintegration into rotation. Does he immediately play a full complement of minutes? Anytime you have an extended absence, you're looking at a knee. I, I wonder if how that how that shakes out, how quickly he's really at that full workload. Yes. Um yeah. I mean, obviously, it seems like his return could be coming soon. Um, TCU's schedule is shaping up. They are at Iowa State Wednesday. I mean, there hasn't been any word on when he's going to come back. So, for all we know, he could be back for that game. He could be out until March Madness. I would lean towards him coming back sooner and later. And I really hope to see him back soon because he's a very good player. Yeah, and like we've said, if TCU is like a sixth seed, they could definitely make a run in the tournament because they have just been, they have gotten unlucky this year. Obviously, at the beginning of the season, you had Damian Ba, who had some eligibility issues that was forced to miss some games. Miles also was uh, banged up a little towards the beginning of the season. But yeah, I just hope we get fully healthy Mike Miles back soon because that's just what's good for college basketball, having your star players play. Um, moving on, there's some more teams in the Big 12 that we want to talk about, such as Iowa State, who went 0-2 this week. Obviously, we mentioned that they lost at home versus Oklahoma State, which is really a rarity for Ohio- Iowa State to drop a home game. It's the first one that they've dropped this season. They also lost uh, at West Virginia last week, which was really a – it was really a, a – tough games a lot of fouls in that game a lot of players fouled out just a, a entertaining final minutes of that game i um watched that down the stretch um yeah it's another team i'm still like not terribly worried about like they've dropped a lot of games lately but at the same time like you look who they're losing to like obviously the game at home versus Oklahoma state probably wasn't ideal to lose but like at West Virginia like okay they just beat Kansas like a week ago at home by like 15 and like some of their other losses like at Texas Tech which is kind of looking better honestly um but they lost like at Missouri which is also kind of Missouri's also a team that's been trending up recently so like even though they've lost some of these games like I'm still not worried about them because I've, I think these teams that they're playing are better in the teams they'll see early on in the tournament. 
Yeah, I feel similarly. I, I just I don't know if I disrespected West Virginia, but I don't think I gave West Virginia due credit on a prior episode. West Virginia, I mean, it's partially because of the over because of the win over the Cyclones, but they're within two spots of Iowa State and Kempom right now. And Iowa State for its own Kempom numbers, tenth in adjusted defensive efficiency, seventh in efficiency margin. Iowa State still projects and profiles as a team that is going to be a okay. I don't know about AOK all the way through the Big 12 tournament because they're, you you can't even count on one hand how many teams could win the Big 12 tournament. But uh, I do think Iowa State is is you know, ultimately going to be a team that you can put your confidence in. And it's really it's, – it's as straightforward as that. It's, it's, it's as straightforward as saying, hey, what were the odds that Iowa State was really going to run the table in home Big 12 games? Because at some point, you play so many high-quality conference opponents who know your tape so well. You've put so much on video throughout the season – when you get to later, mid, late February, it seems like you're going to get one of those spots uh, eventually. And that just happened to be the case twice in a week with the one home game and then the, the dropped longer road trip, WVU. Yeah, for sure. And obviously we mentioned a few minutes ago that Texas Tech just knocked off Texas. And this just goes to the point that like Texas Tech is the worst team in the conference. Well, maybe it's Oklahoma now, but they're they're both down there. But like they, they can beat teams like um texas tech has been playing like okay lately they just beat kansas state the other day just beat texas beat iowa state last week and like i guess you can also make the argument argument that oklahoma is the worst team in the league and even though they've been playing terrible lately they killed alabama like two weeks ago so there's really um not a lot of margin for error if you're not playing good one night in the big 12 this might be this might be one of the greatest seasons by conference we've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, I know the Big Twelve has certainly had their fair share of years where they've been like this, but I don't know this, if they. This is different. Like I think about Oklahoma. Oklahoma, Bama's number one this week. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it makes me like, laugh. Yeah, and like Oklahoma be like Seton Hall by double digits, neutral core. Like Oklahoma is. Uh, what are they? Two and ten in the Big Twelve, and they're not even like that bad. It's just crazy to see, and obviously that's another reason why uh, Mosier might want to dip if um he's just not finding the success at Oklahoma that he is looking for necessarily. But yeah, the Big Twelve is crazy good, and now moving on to another conference that. It's not as good overall, but the top of the Big East is also crazy good and crazy competitive. And UConn, they got a big win earlier in the week uh, versus Marquette. I feel like that was a much-needed win to kind of um, get themselves back on track. Uh, they had been struggling lately, and that was kind of a uh a dominant win they kind of got up early in that game big and just kind of held on which yeah they just uh really needed that game so what are your thoughts on that game specifically well i have to be an, i have to be annoying for starters because i'm pretty sure that's another big east pick i got i think i think it marked me down i think you can check me on that but i believe i had the huskies yes and i believe i picked marquette in that game but see, these games are hard to pick, right? And I'm I'm, I'm pulling your leg here, Austin. But on your birthday, no less. How, I can't believe I have the audacity to do that right now. But 
I, UConn defends its home floor against a team that had to make a long trip. This is a game that they had to make a trip they had to make midweek. I just literally liked UConn that spot. But then it's so hard to win consecutive Big East ranked games, and UConn falls at Creighton in the following game. But I, I would even be encouraged by the way UConn played in that game at Creighton. I know that's not even the topic of discussion when you look at the win over Marquette, but UConn played Creighton to a really good low scoring defensive slugfest. UConn shot seven of twenty seven from three point land, so that they they didn't let that define them in the game. They they still showed up on defense. I guess that's the upside you can take to only shoot fourth free throws as a team is concerning to me in terms of that loss that UConn has at Creighton. Creighton got the line seventeen times as a team, so I think Creighton's physicality came through, drawing the contact, really being the team that actually got the freebies, got those opportunities earned. It makes me take a second look at points in the paint and that rebounding margin as well. UConn, UConn actually did out-rebound Creighton, but in the end didn't didn't get to the free throw line, didn't make it an efficient day on offense. So it was really the opposite was true against Marquette as Connecticut had a really strong day on offense and dropped nearly 90 points in that win. It's hard to put that kind of offense to showing up in consecutive games against the top Big Ten, Big Ten, Big East defenses. But UConn is definitely a team that would be a metric favorite, and it continues to be that way. I mean, UConn is sixth in Kempom, and they're in the middle of the Big East. But that's because tell you that these conference games they swing so narrowly, and you can have an overall record that you know you have overall number of losses closer to ten in UConn's case, but still. You're you're look at adjusted offensive efficiency, twelfth in the country in Kempom, also top twenty in defensive efficiency. So UConn's really well built, and they showed it against Marquette. At, I think really think at home was the biggest factor because if you play at Marquette, maybe it's a different story. But I really like UConn being fresh in store. Yeah, well, as you mentioned, it is my birthday. I'm now officially in my twenties, which is crazy. And the way Creighton has been playing lately has kind of been nice birthday present for me. They have had oh, a right. great week. <laughs> they have they obviously beat Seton Hall. Uh I wouldn't say necessarily comfortably the game the way that game went out. They kind of pulled away in the final minutes, but they ended up winning by double digits. Then they uh beat Yukon this week in a game where they never really played uh that great. Kalkbrenner uh was never really got anything going necessarily uh Sonogo played pretty well on him but at the same time um Yukon was never really able to get much going either um they shot uh 36% from 2 7 to 27 from 3 so Creighton has really um established themselves as a top defensive program in the past three years, which usually when you think about the Blue Jays, you think about their offense. But their defense won them this game. They, yeah, they just had an outstanding game and or outstanding win. I wouldn't say out, they played outstanding, but you just kind of got the feel that they were going to win this game, um, even though it was not pretty. And I feel like another attribute you need to win, Marsh, you just, you just need to be able to win games. Like, this um as long as you get to win that's what really matters and this is an ugly win but you need to win ugly sometimes and a win's a win and Creighton has won eight straight in a row and they have been playing very good recently um 
And then some other Big East headlines. His butler uh, swept the schedule this week. They beat won two home games, both by two points over St. John's and Xavier, which Xavier was a little bit of a surprising win for the Bulldogs. Um, Butler has been struggling lately a lot, so it's not, I mean, obviously these wins aren't going to catapult them to tournament team or even NIT level. It's just interesting to see that even in, um, even in the big East, you see, obviously St. John's one is just like whatever, but Xavier, like even these, like there's just so much drama in this, um, college basketball. That game obviously went down to the wire with a goaltending call um, towards the end of that game. But, yeah, just um, just crazy to see um, the results of some of these games. And then St. John's went around, turned around after that Butler loss, and they beat Providence at the Garden. So I don't have a ton to say about this game. I did not um, – watch this but it's just crazy to see how like it's crazy to see how this league operates and who be two and coming forth from all of that we have a four team race for the number one seed in the conference currently marquette leads it by a half game they're sitting at 12 and 3 creighton and xavier 11 and 3 and providence 10 and 4 who do you see coming out on top of this conference? I really like the teams in the middle of the country. I like Marquette and Creighton a lot. I think I not just because of the birthday thing, but I need to say happy birthday. And alongside that, I'll say Creighton. I, I the Creighton offense. You you talk about guards in March. I like offense in March too. At some point, games. This is going to be decided by who can just make their own buckets and absolutely just create points out of opportunities that look like nothing. I trust Creighton. I, I like the Blue Jays, but that could mean that they don't even necessarily take the Big East tournament, but I think Creighton could easily be the last, and I would probably look to the Jays as being that last Big East team standing in in March. Yeah, I agree. I don't know if I'm being biased here, but like they've clearly been playing the best basketball out of any team in the Big East recently, and I just I just don't see this team losing um, anytime soon. Well, as I said, they have a tough game at Providence tomorrow, um, which is definitely not an automatic win. Um, But, yeah, I mean, that should be their only game that's um, the the going forth the rest of the season that is super close. I think they'll take care of Marquette at home. but besides that, they just have some uh, games versus some of the bottom teams in the conference. But, yeah, Creighton has been playing amazing, eight straight. They clearly, despite the early season struggles, have clearly proven to be the team they were projected to be preseason. They're, in my eyes, they are a championship contender. They have one of the best starting fives in the country, um, despite a questionable bench at times. But they have been getting some good minutes out of players like Sharif Mitchell lately, uh, Mason Miller. But, yeah, I think that Creighton will end up being the regular season champion. I mean, I don't know about the Big East tournament. Um, 
I feel like at that point, that doesn't really matter a ton who wins that. It's just, um, I think the regular season champion will say more about who is really the best team in the conference. And yeah, I could really see the whole top half of the Big East going on runs in the tournament. And that's something I really want to monitor. Obviously, the bottom half of the conference isn't amazing, but the top half of the conference is as good as you're going to see outside of the Big 12 in college basketball. Um, so, yeah, any any last thoughts about the um, Big East? My final thought is I took Creighton, but I Marquette, I, I, I like Kolek, I picked Tyler Kolek there in All-American way back, way back in the Stone Ages of the pod. So uh, I, I have definitely a place in my heart for Marquette at the same time. But no, I, I do think that I love the way the standings race shapes up with so many teams within that half game of each other in that top three, four range. Yeah, so moving on, um, not going to take too much uh, longer in this podcast, but the Big Ten standings are a mess. There are eight teams separated between second and ninth. By or obviously there are eight teams in that category, but they're separated by one game, which is crazy. It's just pure chaos in that league, and I definitely will. That will be a conference tournament, and I'm really tuned into because I feel like anything could happen with the uh, middle of the teams. Some Pac-12. Um, obviously we don't talk about the Pac-12 a lot, but Arizona lost at uh, Stanford which is not necessarily a loss that you want to have. Um, they, they've been playing good lately, um, but I feel like with this game, UCLA is the best team in the conference. They, they Those teams will meet at UCLA March 4th. And um, some other notes, USC lost at Oregon and Oregon State, which Oregon State lost is not a good one for the Trojans. That game might end up ultimately leaving them out of the tournament. And, yeah, Oregon, speaking about Oregon, they have, they've shown flashes of what they can do, but I'm not sure if they can be consistent enough to make the tournament. Any thoughts on the Pac-12? Sorry for the delay there. I was getting getting my Zoom held up here, but we've had a hold up and getting to the Pac-12, which really is our bad because I think UCLA is going to show up in the bracket in March and is going to represent the Pac-12 very well in the end. I think they're really going to be the standard bearer, but I got to give credit to the Pac-12 for showing some depth, right? Like I, I don't think we can uh, just crush USC for falling. I think we got to give credit at the same time to Oregon State. I mean, hey, they showed up. I think it'd be hard not to picture uh, a school like Oregon State showing up with a little extra juice against a university that they know is on its way out to the Big Ten. You know, one of those extra little motivation factors. I love throwing realignment into the discussion, but I, I do think that uh, I credit the Pac-12 for showing. We praise the Big East. We praise the Big 12, right, for for having these topsy-turvy upsets. And so the Pac-12 is going to get similar love, at least from me here. Yeah, uh, for sure. And yeah, Arizona, UCLA, those are some matchups i'm really looking forward to obviously the last game of the regular season in about a month and hopefully the um game in the pac-12 tournament championship hopefully we can see that 
Yeah, and I'm interested to see if there's even like a third team from the Pac-12 that makes a tournament because you were, you would think like USC would, but after just uh, these struggles, Oregon, Arizona State kind of on the bubble, Utah kind of there too, but they don't really have the wins besides Arizona to back anything up. Um, so final question, do you think anyone besides Arizona and UCLA is making a tournament or will this be a two-bid league? Could and could very well end up being a two big league because of that Utah resume situation. The USC loss losses, I should say, are huge. Like when you look at USC now, having five Pac-12 losses, three games back of UCLA, it really is. It really is a difficult spot. And I think also back to the Mountain West. Not that I should have an FCS playoffs mindset where this is all regionalized in a way, and you so you you kind of <laughs> you kind of go in order of the regions. But I do take a look at. San Diego State, you already have in there. You have Nevada, who is just a game back of San Diego State. We've discussed Boise, Utah State. I, I do, I do think that the Pac-12 is at risk of those two of those two bids uh, being the lone the lone appearances because in the end, there are only like an upper half Mountain West team, such as the ones I just described, could could finish in the top quarter of the Pac-12. I think the way it's shaped up this year. Yeah, I agree. I think the Mountain West will end up getting more bids in the uh, Pac-12 come March. Obviously, some of the Mountain West, New Mexico has kind of fallen off lately. They might still be in the field as of today, but it will be close. They will need to capitalize down the stretch. But like uh, you have Boise, um, San Diego State, Nevada, like those teams have all been playing good lately. Utah State kind of on outside looking in. But I think the Mountain West, as I mentioned many times before, it's a conference that could certainly have a bid sealer. So, um, and speaking about bid sealers, I would not be surprised if Oregon is a bid sealer for the Pac-12. So, moving on to uh, our game predictions for this week, we have some game good games that you will want to watch, and we will be watching it as well. So. We thought we would pick our winners. So um, Tuesday, which um, will probably be the day that you're listening to this podcast, we have Kansas at Oklahoma State. And I'm taking the Cowboys just keep rolling on with this win streak. Kansas, this will be a tough test for both teams. But I think Oklahoma State will ride the momentum and come out on top. All good things must come to an end. I hate to be a party crasher, but I think Kansas rises to the occasion here. I think Oklahoma State's not going to sneak up on the Jayhawks in a way that uh, they could have against opponents earlier in this winning streak, not to discredit the streak. But I, I like I like uh, Rock Chalk here, not by a significant amount. We've seen Kansas fall plenty of have plenty of not not just slip ups, but just straight up get drilled <laughs> in the in the Big Twelve at times. So it's not it's not overlooking that fact either. But I, I think Kansas shows up here in this in this game. Yes, uh, Tuesday we also have Creighton at Providence. Um, I think I'm going to be siding with Creighton in this one. Um. Definitely should be a great game, though. Providence has been pretty good this season. Is that Providence? Um, yeah, I'm taking Creighton in a close one here. Providence will be looking for revenge um, as Creighton won the first matchup of the year. Who do you have in this game? I have the Friars, so we, we split again. I, I've been hyping up Creighton throughout the show, so can't go too overboard on that or else you'll, you'll take me for a 
for a fellow Blue Jay fan. But no, I, I I look at the team stats. This one, I was looking for an area where I could justify taking Creighton on the road. I just think these two look so similar statistically, despite the eye test making me love Creighton. The long trip, I, I used this rationale with UConn. UConn hosting a team off a long trip as one of those not outliers geographically but it's just it's just a greater hike to make a game against a team who is so similar to you in terms of the numbers i like the home edge to providence yeah for sure and as a creighton fan i can i could see us dropping this game uh more than any other games going forward uh in regular season play so i would not be surprised with whoever wins this game wednesday we also have some good games in alabama at tennessee Obviously, Tennessee's been struggling lately, and I think for that reason, I will pick Alabama. I'd probably pick Alabama even before Tennessee lost their last few games. Alabama is just so much better than any team in the SEC right now. Even though I could see Tennessee potentially having, like, uh, potentially coming out mad with... um, we trying to get uh, revenge from their past few losses. Alabama has honestly been too good, so I'm siding with the Crimson Tide here. I'll agree with you here. It's one of the most difficult picks, I think, of the week. I'm going to go ahead and go ahead with the mindset that let's say Tennessee beat Mizzou and that prayer shot didn't go and you had overtime and Tennessee gets the job done. I think I don't think we view the motivation factor for Tennessee the same way. Obviously, that's all looking at hypotheticals, but give me the Crimson Tide here. We've seen so many AP number ones lose. I keep bringing up the number one ranking, but I, I don't know if it happens in this spot. It's it. I I don't see Alabama getting caught off guard here. The every it, everyone saw the way Tennessee lost, right? So I think Alabama is going to be have its guard up for this one. Yeah. Um. Wednesday we also have uh Xavier at Marquette, and this is game that I'm going to pick the home team, and I'm going with Marquette. And I guess it's as simple as that. I think these are two very talented teams. Uh, I believe um Xavier won the first match of the year, which was obviously at Xavier. So, yeah, I'm picking Marquette to uh, split the season series here. Marquette, the Golden Eagles have a really strong home record. When you see how these two stacked up at Xavier was a four-point loss for Marquette. That's a game Marquette led at the half by four, and Marquette's offense completely trailed off in the second half, just 28 points scored on the road in Cincy. I, I'm going to roll with Marquette here as well. Kolek had 25 in that first meeting. He could go for at least that in a home game situation, uh, but phew, these are no fun. I talked about the Alabama-Tennessee game. This is another one of those where it just feels like just like it feels like a deep conference tournament preview. It feels like a, it feels like a really good March preview, but I'm going to stick with Marquette in this one. Yeah, for sure. And Saturday, we also have some games worth watching. The first is Baylor at Kansas, and this is kind of the same situation. I think I'd pick whoever the home team is in this game, and Kansas doesn't really lose at home, so I will pick them to beat Baylor, even though Baylor has been red hot lately, and I could certainly see this game ending up in either outcome. I'm sticking with the home team and Kansas. I'm not sure the home team, respectfully, I'm not sure the home team rule applies in the Big 12. We, we I feel like we have whole Big 12 segments where we, we learn that every week and we kind of revert back to it. Give me Baylor. I mean, I took Kansas to win at Oklahoma State, and I just think it's so hard to string together consecutive Ws. And you've you've been high on Baylor. You've educated me on Baylor, and I'm going to follow through on that here. So sick them. 
Yeah, Tennessee, Kentucky. Um, obviously, Kentucky has not been uh, great this season, as we previously mentioned in the podcast, but they this game will certainly draw a lot of attention. Kentucky got the huge upset at, at Tennessee earlier this year, but I think Tennessee will get revenge at Kentucky. Kentucky has not been playing very well lately, and I am predicting Tennessee to lose at Alabama. But I think Tennessee will finally win a game at Kentucky. I took North Carolina over Kentucky in terms of the positioning for the NCAA tournament. I need to be consistent with that. Part of that is taking the Vols here. So give me a Rocky Top. All right. Um, also, how we have Illinois, Indiana. That's a little bit of a rivalry game in the Big Ten there. Obviously it will make a lot of difference in the Big Ten standing with everyone right in there. This is another situation like in where it's so even. It's like, I'll just pick the home team. And Indiana has been playing great lately. So, obviously, honestly, I might pick Indiana either way. But since it's at Indiana, I really don't have any doubts. I'm going with the Hoosiers. TJD and IU. Five letters. That's the pick. <laughs> yep. I agree with that pick, and moving forward to our last featured game of Saturday, we have Iowa State at Kansas State, and same situation. I'm picking Kansas State. Iowa State is, besides the Oklahoma State game, they've been dominant at home, um, but they haven't really been the same team on the road, and K-State, the Octagon of Doom, has been a good home environment. I am rolling with the Wildcats. A few teams that have been struggling a little lately, but at the same time, it's the Big 12, so have they really been struggling? Or, like, is everyone else that's really good? Right, that's the eternal question. I don't know if we'll ever have an answer before conference tournament time. The Wildcats get Oklahoma midweek. I think that's a game they can take, right, even on the road. I'm going to get that sound bite, and then we're going to see we're going to see Porter Moser cooking something up at that rate. But I do think that Kansas State benefits from probably having a matchup that's more one of the more favorable you can get on a given night in the conference. You follow it up with getting Iowa State at home. So I look at the whole week, the big picture. I'll ride with Alex Schmidt here. Once again, name dropping his squad to give me Jerome Tang. But um, no, this another one of those possible conference final previews. If it shook out that way, would not be disappointed to see that matchup again. Yeah, for sure. And that is our last game preview of the week. Any other notes, topics, anything you want to mention before we stop recording? Something I did want to revisit real briefly on UT Arlington in terms of the quality of that job. You look at the way they stack up in the Western Athletic standings is I'm curious to see, I'm trying to visualize how the Western, the wax stains are going to look post Sam Houston departure. Maybe even some additional realignment. If you think about if Gonzaga heads out of the West coast conference and maybe the WCC makes some ads from the WAC, how UTA looks there. I think UTA has a lot of upside within the WAC is what I'm trying to say is in a new look WAC. UTA has a really strong location to be a really big recruiting player in the new look WAC that I'm expecting. And it's easy to forget that UTA was actually in the mix for the MVC as well. Like this is a program that the Missouri Valley thought about for similar reasons, getting into that market, getting to that recruiting base, getting into that area where you can have your brand in that, in that presence to recruit. So 
I, I, I'm very warm on UT Arlington in general. And so the coaching search will be a good thing to track. Yeah, for sure. On that note, the WAC has been amazing this year. Um, I think, and it definitely a strong conference that, uh, is definitely probably more attractive to coaches and players than it has been maybe even was going into the season. So I think this is definitely a, uh, pretty good job and, yeah, I'm I'm also interested interested to see who um takes it. Obviously we mentioned uh the Kansas State assistant. Uh, obviously just mentioning Kansas State in our game predictions, but I'm not really I don't really have a feel for who they could hire. I just uh, um someone said it on Twitter, so I guess that's just my only thought right now. Someone said it on Twitter, so we we, we gotta we gotta let them know about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um well, on that note, any other things you'd like to hit on? Other than the HBD, or at least the last little bit of it here, your, your <laughs> HBD, we want to wish you well. Thanks for uh, having me on here for the, the first season of this. This has been a lot of fun, and let's uh, keep doing it, and you're in your 20s. How about that? Yep. Uh, no plan on stopping this anytime soon, but we do have plans on stopping this episode soon. So with that being said, we will see you next week.